0: We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down
1: to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. A Very, very good uh, day to you. Please uh, make sure you visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up for my daily, uh, excuse me, not daily, my uh, substack where I send out some key uh, uh, longer form writing. Uh, people seem to enjoy that and so check that out. Uh, and also please visit uh, com and sign up there for the daily email, the daily wink. And uh, today, what you need to know here on the Pro-America Report, what you need to know is what about Michigan? What about Michigan? Uh, the Michigan primary was uh, a Tuesday. Uh, it included uh democrats and republicans i'll leave aside for a moment uh, the details there's actually some of the delegates to the republican national convention will be allocated at a con- at a convention a state convention in a week or two but it doesn't matter they had a, they had a, they had primary they had primary voting in both the republican party and the Democrat party in michigan on tuesday and the results were in <clears throat> excuse me and the results were 70% for trump for Nikki Haley, so a resounding win, 80% for President Biden, and 20% for not Biden. Now, the media rushed to cover this and say, holy cow, can you believe it? Donald Trump has got a real problem. Holy cow, 30% of the Republican Party, even though obviously he's going to be the nominee and he's so popular, 30% are still really never Trump or not Trump or somebody else. On and on and on. Here's why that's fake news. It's fake news because Nikki Haley had spent herself $76 million in the last four weeks. She also had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in earned media in every single market and millions and millions nationally because every single television show, newspaper wanted to write about her. They want, remember I told you, follow the money. They need to have some kind of race so there's something to cover. The media needs, the, uh, the, the media wants some kind of race to cover. So they had they spend, let's let's conservatively say it was $100 million in real money and in earned media that were spent on behalf of Nikki Haley, and she only got 30%. That's how you should look at it, but it's still dominant. And you have to say to yourself, how many of the 30 percent who voted for Nikki Haley are going to never vote for Donald Trump? Not many, if they're really Republicans. Now, if they were Democrats like there were in the in some of the other uh, primary elections where, you know, South Carolina, there was lots of Democrats admitted they were going in. They were going in to, to, a, into the polls and walking out. The exit polls were showing that they were actually Democrats and they were um, not voting for they were voting for Nikki Haley to cause trouble. But, of course, what you need to know is the real story is what happened to biden the sitting president running against literally no one in michigan only received 80 percent of the vote how's that possible there was nobody with any money or uh, there may be like some random uh, uh name uh on the ballot uh in the primary but there was no one with any real uh uh horsepower no no money no name id no nothing it wasn't uh uh some, someone that uh, could say well i was um you know, the starting shortstop for the Detroit Tigers for 10 years, and now I'm running for president because I'm sick of Biden. Nothing like that. No, Nobody there. Nobody that anyone knew. And 20 percent, in fact, a lot of the 20 percent I think voted for, literally, you can vote for not neither candidate or not the, not the guy on the ballot. Why? Well, because Michigan has a cross-section of Democrat voters that are in big trouble for Joe Biden. Who are they? African-American men, lots of them. Working men and women, auto workers, manufacturing who are disenchanted, they were told the electric vehicle thing, the green thing, all these things would help them. Nothing helped them. They, they feel inflation. Both those groups feel inflation. And then, very interestingly, Joe Biden has a problem. It's clear now among the far left and especially among the left who considers the uh, Israel war an overreach by Israel. That's not my opinion. That's not my opinion, but it's a bunch of opinion, opinion of a bunch of people in Michigan. So much so that Michigan, they're panicking. The Democrats are now officially panicking. And remember, on Monday night, the day before the election, Joe Biden went on Seth Meyers TV program and made news. His goal was to make news. And the news that he made was, I'm going to try to push Israel to, uh, to, to the peace table. I'm going to try to force them to make a peace deal. And that was the news that they wanted. They hoped it would help them in Michigan. It didn't. It didn't. At this point, the Biden uh, uh, campaign plane is on a glide path. They've got no engines working and they're gliding towards the ground. The question is whether they hit the ground before Election Day or if they're going to be able to make it to Election Day, because at this point, there's no energy. There's no upward push. There's no people saying, I have to have this guy. There's very, very little energy in the direction of Joe Biden. That's the story out of Michigan. The story out of Michigan is that people in this country are tired of Biden, tired of the Biden economy, tired of Biden's wars, tired of Biden's approach. They're embarrassed by the guy on the world stage, all these things. Now, it's not everybody. Don't get me wrong. There's still 45 percent of the country that's going to vote Democrat, that's going to either say they hate Trump or they like the Democrat policies. But you don't have to win the country. You have to win the states. You have to win specific states to get to the magic number of 270 in the Electoral College. And you cannot get there as a Democrat if you lose Michigan. If you lose Michigan as a Republican, you can probably still get there as long as you win Nevada and Nevada and Arizona, maybe in Georgia. You can piece it together. But if a Republican wins Michigan on election night, then the game is over. And I was at a presentation on uh, uh, earlier in the day today, I was in a presentation where a a woman was talking about there are now 10 uh, races that Republicans think are pickups in the U.S. Senate. Races like in New Mexico, a woman named Domenici, her father was Pete Domenici, she's a businesswoman, she's running for Senate. Over in Maryland, Larry Hogan, running for Senate as a Republican, he's won twice as a Republican governor candidate, he's been governor two terms, he's running for president, excuse me, he's running for Senate. All of a sudden, all the momentum is going one way, and that is towards the the non-Biden positions. The people that are saying, I don't want the border open, I don't want uh, our, our inflation so high and our energy costs high, I don't want to uh, fall for the, the green uh, hoax, the green new hoax, I think that's what Trump called it. All those things are changing how people are feeling about this election, and it makes a big difference. So that's what's coming out of Michigan. And again, back to this woman who was giving this presentation, um, She was, she said, very convincing. When you have Larry Hogan running in Maryland and the race will be a 50 to a hundred million dollars each Democrat and Republican, and it's competitive, that's money that can't be spent in Montana, where Senator Tester, a Democrat, is up for re-election in a state, Montana, which Trump will win by 20 points, maybe 25. So all of a sudden, Tester's race, his re-election, the Democrats have a problem. And uh, obviously, it expands from there. So- it's very interesting things happening. And that's what's going on with the election. That's what Michigan meant. Michigan should be, we'll see if it is, should be the turning point for the uh, get rid of Biden movement, because now you can see concretely that Biden cannot win. And there's no Democrats that are fooled by that now. They can see it right in front of their face, that there's a real hole in his uh, uh in his um coalition that gets him the votes he needs and there's a real hole in the electoral map if he's losing places like Michigan if he's got to compete in Michigan in a way that he didn't have to do in fact Michigan's uh, senate race is uh, open and it'll be a big uh, race there too that'll be another one uh, i think they say that former congressman Rogers is running and he's uh, uh, got the most institutional knowledge uh, or institutional uh, uh how to say momentum but it's not a sure thing either. There, there's a couple other people running, and we'll see. But, but there's, my point is, they are saying it's in play. They are saying it, uh, it's it's going to be up for grabs. Uh, the same woman said, even in California, they're hopeful that Steve Garvey could uh, be the nominee. You know, it's a jungle primary in California. The top two advance, and if it's Adam Schiff and Steve Garvey, well, Adam Schiff's going to win, likely. But Steve Garvey's going to be able to organize and to uh, energize a whole bunch of uh, uh, Republicans and a whole bunch of voters and a whole bunch of people, which is going to, again, cost, cause the Democrats to have to spend money in a place that they wouldn't have had to spend. If you're the Democrats and it was, say, the top two vote getters in the primary are Democrats, Adam Schiff and Katie Porter, well, then it doesn't matter. You're going to win anyway. Let them fight it out. They're going to raise money. We'll see who wins. But you don't have to worry about it. But just in case it turns into a mess and you got Adam Schiff on the top of the ticket, for example, and a Republican Steve Garvey running, they got to spend some money there. They got to make sure that nothing, you know, lightning doesn't strike and change the whole uh, complexion of California. So uh, that's what happened in Michigan. It's the beginning of the final stage of an effort to get Biden out of the race. I don't think they'll succeed, but I don't think they're going to stop trying. That's what happened in Michigan, and that's what you need to know. Uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, please go to proamericareport.com, sign up for that Substack, and also com for the Daily Wink. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you next. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while because the Parents Television and Media Council, you can find their work at parentstv.org. It's a really important mission. It's a, been around for decades and decades uh, focusing on research and education, advocating about responsible entertainment. And you can tell from the name Parents Television, who's kind of famous for that for a while, Parents Television uh, Council, uh, but uh, media. Media was added because as my, our next guest and I were talking off air, uh, kids don't watch TV the same way. So uh, Melissa Henson has been with the television with the parents, excuse me, with the parents, television and media council uh, for a couple of decades now. And now is the vice president of programs, a senior leader there. Welcome to the program. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm glad to have you
1: on. And I think it's so important that we have these conversations because it's not enough to say, oh, culture's going the wrong way. Culture, we we need to be specific and we need to spend the time figuring it out. When I was exchanging emails with one of your team, we were talking about what to talk about. uh, (laughs) I have to say three of the examples that we were talking about of the targeting of Hollywood of teens and three of the examples were HBO. And it it feels like at this point, you know, HBO, HBO Max, I guess they all do it. But what, first of all, in your career now, 20 plus years. Has Hollywood, I guess, has Hollywood gotten worse? And more importantly, has the threats to our kids or the lack of good entertainment? It's beyond Hollywood now because there's so many other sources
2: of content, right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, Unquestionably, it has gotten worse. When I started out with the Parents Television Media Council, we used to be just the Parents Television Council because the biggest threat was coming from what kids were watching on broadcast television during primetime viewing hours. And that was, you know, like around 1997 is when I started working with the PTC. Well, you think Uh about what was on TV in 1997 compared (laughs) with what kids can watch today. And it was positively tame. And the biggest problem, I think, confronting our kids today is there is no regulatory authority over these streaming services that kids are now getting their content from. You know, the FCC has no authority there broadcast decency laws don't apply there. And in many cases, you don't even have advertisers keeping the content in check. So, you know, back in the 90s, HBO and Cinemax were the channels that you would go to if you were looking for really edgy content. And frankly, a lot of the stuff on those channels was p- pornographic. I mean, there's there's no way around it. Right. But now, you can find similar content on Netflix, which many people openly bring into their homes. They embrace that. They love it. They subscribe to it. They, they let their kids use it so you can find similar content now on netflix you can find similar content now on amazon prime you can find similar content now on apple tv plus all of these streaming services that families are welcoming into their own homes with open arms have content that i would say is at least comparable to the pornographic content that was exclusively available on premium cable channels like hbo and cinemax a couple of decades ago
1: do you think that when it's worse, so it's worse in two ways? Well, I think it's worse in two ways. They're even bolder than they were. But if if, it, if they were disgusting yeah. and despicable in 1997, there's st- it's like ranking, you know, evil. It's like oh, it's you know, but so but but it's the access, right? So the access and the ability for kids to get it and people to reach it. I mean, I hate to be this uh, blunt, but when I was a a, boy, a young man, a, a teenager, I remember, I can picture it. The first time someone had a pornographic magazine, like a, I don't think it was a place Playboy, but something, it was like you you saw the physical item someone opened and you're like, holy what is that? Now, mm-hmm. it's literally present in people's lives, as you point out, on the streaming services and on your phone. So how do you all Fight this. I mean, you know, part of the success I've seen in the parents, television and media council is something akin to shaming. I don't think that's what you mean, but you say, look at what this is. Everybody stop and look at what this is. And if you do look and you're confronted by it, you're going to say, don't do that. But it's like there's an avalanche around us and you and I are picking out a couple of flakes of snow.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is unquestionably challenging. And I think for parents, the biggest challenge is the fact that, you know, kids now have their own mobile devices, they have access to this content and they can view it outside of the family home, outside of the purview of their parents so a lot of times parents are not aware at all of the content their kids are consuming Uh, but the sad reality is that as, as atrocious as the stuff is on these streaming platforms kids are finding and being exposed to far worse on social media they're prey to child predators they're prey to sexploitation and exploitation Blackmail, online bullying. So the threats to our children coming from the media they consume, I think, are significantly more profound than they were a couple of decades ago because they're carrying around in their pockets or in their purses the means uh, by which they're being exploited or the means by which they're being exposed to all of this harmful content.
1: Again, we're talking with uh, Melissa Henson. She's the vice president of programs at the Parents Television and Media Council. Uh, so it's such an interesting topic to me because I, I have been saying to people that it's not that, that Meta and Facebook, Meta Facebook or uh, others, they actually have on their staff neuroscientists because they're not just trying to uh, expose you to something or, or say, oh, I like that. They're trying to change the way your brain is wired. And they know that. They admit Absolutely. that. They're not, they're not lying. And that's especially troubling when you talk about a 14-year-old kid. I mean, you... I I, you and I haven't met, but I reading where, where and when we both went to school, we're probably close to the same age. Our brains are, are declining at this point. I mean, we're not we're not being <laughs> we're not being formed, but a 15 year old kid is being formed. And if you're able to right. do, you know, right. whatever the, you know, I, I, I should say when I say dopamine, I mean, whatever you some of the smarter than me substitute any of the neuroscience uh, uh, understanding of training your brain to rewire it. And so now my question is, shouldn't we make it? You can't drive a car. If you're not 16 oh whatever, 15 and a half, some places, whatever, whatever, but some number, right? That we all agree. You, an eight year old shouldn't drive a car. There may be one on a farm that does it fine. I, I'm not arguing that I'm saying we're going to make a rule. Let's say 16, no driving because it's dangerous for the kid and dangerous for other people. Well, it's, isn't it clear that uh, a social media and smartphone exposure on a 13 year old kid is going to be a danger to the kid and to the society. Can't we ban that? Or are we way past that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And you're absolutely right about the brain chemistry behind it. And You know, they are employing the same sort of psychological tricks that gambling casinos. Exactly. Do. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. They're, they're trying to trigger those dopamine rewards in order to keep kids locked on those sites because that's how they get their revenue. And they have estimated that, you know, teenagers are worth something like 11 billion dollars in revenue to these mm. social media companies. So they're not willing to let go of that market. And they won't give it up without a fight. And they are working on finding ways to get you more and more hooked. So the more you engage with a specific kind of content, the more of that content you're going to receive, right? Because that's what's going to keep you on that social media site longer and longer. And what they're finding is because we do tend to become inured to certain kinds of content, we do become desensitized. That's human nature. And so what they're finding is that kids get more and more extreme versions of the content that they're engaging with. So if you're a teenage girl and you're looking for you know, fitness advice or you're looking for healthy food recipes, pretty soon you're going to start getting pro-anorexia content. Right. Or if you're a kid who is going through um, a period where maybe they're feeling kind of down and all of a sudden they're engaging with content that is maybe a little dark or a little bit depressing. They're going to get more and more content that is feeding their uh, feelings of depression and anxiety to the extent that, you know, we've heard now in several congressional hearings, testimony from parents of kids who were driven to suicide because of the media algorithms, the social media algorithms, and the content that they were getting fed from these. So there are devastating consequences. And you are absolutely right about the effect that this has on a not-yet- Developed brain, you know. As a as a woman, you know, I'm I'm going to be 50 years old.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm year. older. I'm older than you. Then I'm old. I'm way older than you. I'm 54 <laughs> this year. Go ahead. Sorry,
2: <laughs> but I, I can look at a Facebook feed or an Instagram feed, and I can recognize, oh, this isn't this person's everyday reality. This is the highlight reel. Uh, right. I I recognize that they don't take these fancy European vacations every day. That this is something special in their life that they want. But to a teenage Brain. Mm-hmm. What they're seeing is the daily reality. And they're comparing their lives to the highlight reels that they're seeing on social media. Or they're seeing their friends going out and having fun and saying, why, why doesn't my life look like yeah. that? Or they see people wearing expensive designer clothes and they say, why can't I dress like that? And they're comparing their lives and they're feeling down about themselves because of the, that comparison. And yeah. uh, they don't have the life experience or the discernment to be able to understand that this is not the reality, that this is a, a version of reality. You know, it's it's a a, a a highly curated version of reality. Well,
1: it's very helpful. Thank you for uh, being out there. I'm out of time, unfortunately, but thank you for being out there. And I encourage you um, again. Our guest has been Melissa Henson, parents and excuse me, Melissa Henson is the vice president of programs at Parents Television and Media Council. uh, And you can go to parents TV dot org and check all their stuff out. We need your voices out there. And I hope we can lift them more and more uh, for this fight. So thank you. We have to take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our next guest, we've had him on before, is a world-renowned expert, I think I can say that. Uh, Dr. John Lott uh, is uh, an economist, uh, and he's uh, particularly been recognized as an expert on crime and the role of guns in crime. And during the Trump administration, people, people may have missed uh, because everybody knows his organization, uh, which is so uh, strong, and that's the Crime Prevention Research Center. Well, he founded that and headed it, but he left to go work in the Trump administration in key spots one in the uh department of justice uh office of justice programs and then also in the office of legal policy a really important spot um he is uh uh really that's those are the places where you can make a big impact but now he's back at the crime research crime prevention research center and that's crimeresearch.org welcome back dr lott how are you sir Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, nice to have you on. Uh, thank you. So uh, again, we're getting, as always, we get uh, people are talking about mass shootings and they don't talk about the research. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, pushing back on these efforts every time there's an election, especially Democrats will start demagoguing this. What's what's the newest or maybe what's the newest way to talk about this or how to explain to people what's going on?
0: Well, we did a deep dive on this recently. And people can see all the data at our website at crimeresearch.org. But uh, one of the things that you often see after one of these attacks or the discussions of them are claims about how frequently they're occurring in the United States. So after Biden administration released its report on the Uvalde shooting from a couple of years ago, the president went out, did his presser where he was talking about the claiming that there were over 600 of these in the last year, similar to Uvalde. When you had something like the Lewiston, Maine bar shooting that had occurred at the end of last year, you had places like CNN and other places uh, going and claiming that there were 600 or so of those over the last year. And what they cite is something from the gun violence archive that they, but they don't even mention their source. They just mention a number of these attacks. Right. And the gun violence archive is a gun control group. Uh, you know, just to give you an idea of who they are. A couple of years ago, it was revealed from a Freedom of Information Act request that this group had gone out there and been lobbying the Centers for Disease Control to remove data from their website. That- it showed the rate of defensive gun uses. And their reason for doing that was they were arguing that having that type of data up on the Centers for Disease Control website was making it more difficult for them to go and lobby for the types of gun control laws that they thought people should be having. So, you know, just kind of what I would regard as kind of an inappropriate argument for somebody to be making to a supposedly scientific group. Of course, obviously you have things like teachers unions have been working with the Centers for Disease Control also on their trying to keep the schools closed. So it wasn't the first time that the Centers for Disease Control had been considering political arguments, but it's just an example. In any case, they have their own definition of what uh, a mass shooting is. Uh, And basically, they define a mass shooting as three or more people uh, injured and or killed uh, in any type of shooting. Um, And uh, the problem is, is that, uh the vast majority of their cases, about eighty percent of them uh involve drug gangs fighting against each other uh Most of the rest overwhelmingly are things like robberies and it's not that those aren't important I mean obviously one doesn't want anybody getting hurt uh and By the way, when they say injured and or killed when they define injured as uh simply. People being injured, even those who weren't shot. So if somebody's trying to run away from a shooting and trips and falls and gets hurt, uh, that would be classified as injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but you know, when you're talking about something like Uvalde or whatever, they're very different. I just would argue that they're talking about basically comparing a- apples and oranges. Uh, what causes and solutions for things like drug gangs fighting against each other over drug turf are very different than somebody going into a mall or a school or a movie theater or a restaurant or a grocery store with the sole goal of trying to go and harm as many people as possible and kill as many people as possible so that they can go and get media attention. You know, Mm -hmm. for example, what drives, the increases or decreases in things like gang fights over drug turfs is pretty simple. It's what happens to the profitability from buying or selling drugs. As those change, as the profitability from selling drugs goes up, uh, you're going to see more gangs fighting right. against each other over drug turfs. Uh, when you're talking about things like these tech uh, like Uvalde or whatever, Uh, what you what basically drives you have somebody who wants to commit suicide but they want to commit suicide in a way that's going to get the media attention and they know the more people they kill the more media attention that they're going to get and it's not like it's rocket science these guys know that if they go to a place where victims are defenseless they're going to be able to go and uh, kill more people and get more media attention Um, so Uh, you know, it's, I think the whole debate right now would be very different if the media once in a while, uh, would report on these parts of the diaries and manifestos for these mass murders, where they explicitly talk about why they pick the targets that they do, uh, and try to go after these gun-free zones. But the, the bottom line is pretty simple. The bottom line is that, uh, uh, What drives these attacks for mass public shootings and how you stop them uh, is completely different. But the president.
1: He wants to He wants to conflate that. Let me ask you that. Uh, Dr. John Lott, you're, you're famous, again, uh, the Crime Prevention Research Center and CrimeResearch.org. You're famous for uh, the in-depth analysis, and, and people will look at it and say, I, I see it. Um, what I saw in that coverage of that story was, basically, the Biden administration went to their hand-picked expert. He he figured out the best way to carve up the numbers to make it look right and, and like they wanted, and then they went out and sold it. And and so, it, you don't have to call it lying, I suppose, but you know, it's the old mark twain thing there lies damn lies and statistics and they but they're clearly misleading the people and as you point out the media is not calling them on it after covid People, I think, a lot more people, not, not, not enough maybe, but a lot more people just don't trust any of the scientific experts. You see it in the environmental, the green movement. More people are like, yeah, you've been lying to us. Do you see that in this? I guess, and, and what, you know, you, you're up against the money, right? Bloomberg and those guys are dumping money into this uh, all the time and playing this game. That's why Biden cares. I don't know if he really cares to destroy our Second Amendment rights. He cares to curry favor to the interest group and the, and those voters, um, are, you know, are are the are people seeing through these lies more? Are you are you finding momentum? I don't know. I mean,
0: there's so much misinformation on so many different topics. Right. I, mean, I think a lot of people believe the fact that you know the claim that we've had 600 type Uvalde shootings uh, over a year. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, thank God we don't have that. But I mean, even even within that, there's many other claims that are just simply false. You know, people think that the United States is somehow unique in terms of these mass public shootings. Uh, but the media, it has such a template on these things. Uh, you would, you know, the Biden administration wants to claim that the threat for these things are kind of white supremacists uh, who, are, who are doing these types of attacks and that they're using assault weapons a lot. Well, all those things are false. Uh, you know, you go and you look at it, and what you find is that while whites, for example, make up a majority of uh, the mass public shooters. Non-Middle Eastern whites make up about 55%. They make up 59% of the population, so they're actually right. underrepresented. Groups right. like blacks are overrepresented. If you look at people that are white supremacists, they make up about 7% of the mass public shooters that are out there. Right. Uh, you know, you have and, and many of them, uh, despite the Biden administration wanting to classify themselves as right wingers, are environmentalists who have done this, uh, you know, because they're upset about things like uh, minorities having too many children. Yeah. Uh, right, I don't know. Right. Maybe you know a lot of conservatives yeah. that are upset about people having
1: too many kids. <laughs> not, but, no, uh, not, no. <laughs> no, that's not real. But, no, you're 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 right. Um Dr. John Lott, I'm sorry I could talk all day. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. I got up against a break here, and I have got to go. Dr. John Lott, uh, extraordinary over at his website. The amount of information, org. there, their reports, the breakdown. Uh go check it out. And uh thanks for the time. We gotta take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: Systemic racism is a common scapegoat for leftist race movements like Black Lives Matter. Insofar as it does actually exist in the United States, it takes the form of something like affirmative action. Affirmative action was a system-wide rule that some races should receive special treatment over others. Unlike Jim Crow laws, however, it was not targeted at African Americans. Instead, affirmative action was systemic racism targeted against white and Asian students, especially seeking college admission. In June of last year, however, the U.S. Supreme Court declared that race-based affirmative action admission policies were unconstitutional. This declaration came about in the Students for Fair Admissions v. President and Fellows of Harvard College case. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court's rulings did not put a complete stop to affirmative action practices, and some schools have brazenly defied the court's decision. Harvard released a statement after the decision which heavily implied that it would circumvent the new prohibition against affirmative action policies. Harvard pointed to a supposed loophole, stating the court also ruled that colleges and universities may consider in admission decisions an applicant's discussion Of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. We will certainly comply with the court's decision. Sarah Lawrence College stated that they will now ask students how the affirmative action ruling has personally impacted them. The NAACP called on colleges to pledge to diversity no matter what. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in the majority opinion that the race of an applicant can be discussed. So long as that discussion is concretely tied to a quality of character or unique ability that the particular applicant can contribute to the university for racial justice to work. It requires that we look at the merits of an individual rather than just the color of their skin. Leftist dominated higher learning institutions don't care and seem to want to pursue base racism no matter what.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs. Visit us at phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again next time
1: for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the pro America report. Uh, It is. um, I tell you, I don't know whether to be sad or angry about this next story and this next topic. Um, It's insane. It's insane that this is happening in America. Peter Navarro, who served for the entire Trump term in the White House, he was one of his senior advisors on trade, on manufacturing. He was a Democrat his whole life. He ran for mayor of, I think, San Diego. I think he ran for mayor of San Diego. Maybe he ran for Congress once, a Democrat, um, a pro-jobs Democrat, and sort of about 24, 23 years ago he realized that um everybody was caving to the uh chinese and he wrote uh, about that um he, he wrote a book about it he did a documentary about it he was just a voice that was arguing about hey this is a disaster uh for the american people and uh and what's happening to jo- uh, to our jobs and he became really famous for it his book was called death by china death by china written with um uh Greg Autry uh and uh, and so he's a professor too uh, Peter Navarro a long time professor 25 30 years i think he went to Harvard for his phd he's really kind of a genius character so He serves all that time with Trump and after and he had ideas on what could be done after uh, the election in 2020. He he saw evidence that made him think that there was questions about the election. He thought there was ways that it could be delayed to try to figure it out. I don't think he ever thought of himself as an insurrectionist. He was never convicted of insurrection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he was uh, they attempted to call him before the January select uh, the January 6th select committee that Liz Cheney and Nancy Pelosi engineered. It was uh, a seven. 19 month committee, it spent 19 million dollars, so more than a million dollars a month. They destroyed their own records, they lied about what happened, they were not uh, out, uh, open about anything, and they were really dis- uh, they were um, brainwashing the American people. They, they interviews after the fact uh, that they were interviewing people and they said, oh, yeah, I, I forget if it was um, I don't think it was Adam Schiff, but it was one of the folks like him that said, yeah, you know, oh, Adam knows Adam Kinzinger. He said, yeah, you know, we we hired an ABC producer, a TV producer because we wanted to, uh, you know, get the narrative going in our direction. We wanted people to believe what we were saying. So Navarro, Peter Navarro gets called before this committee. It's obvious which one, And he says, no, no, I, I'm not. I'm not reporting. Because why? Because I, I had executive privilege. I was working for the president and president. I'm not reporting. And they rejected that. And he said, no, he didn't care. Anyway, they 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 ratched him, uh, notched him up for um, contempt of Congress. And then they referred it to Biden's DOJ, who prosecuted it. And so in the in Washington, D.C., there's no chance you're getting a fair, a fair trial. There's no chance that the jury because why? Not because the people of D.C. are bad. The people of D.C. are fine. But the people of D.C. have been exposed to 19 million dollars of Liz Cheney, Nancy Pelosi brainwashing and a lot more. And the lies they told about it weren't confronted by the press. The press did not stop and say, what are you talking about? That didn't happen like that. Wait, wait a second. Let, let, we had to ask some questions. We don't understand. There was a pipe bomb, two pipe bombs, but nothing happened. You never caught anybody. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. There was a gallows somebody built. and We can't find the gallows guy. Wait, what if they went? There was, there was undercover uh, cops and feds involved. They didn't do any of that. They just look for victims. They look, I mean, look for people to make into victims, to persecute, persecute and prosecute lawfare. And in this case, jail time. And so they got a four month jail sentence and they're about to take. He's appealed it, but to the court of appeals, but it won't go well. The D.C. court of appeals is rotten. And they're about to send the guy to jail, federal jail for four months because he wouldn't talk to Congress because he thought he had privilege, uh, privilege protection. This is this is very clearly this is persecution of Trump supporters. There's nothing he said or did that had that could be construed as having a role in things. But even if he did, there's lots of ways other than sending them to jail. And Eric Holder, by the way, was held in contempt of Congress. He was never prosecuted. I mean, the idea of the selective prosecution of supporters of Trump and Trump himself I don't know, four years ago, I would have said, oh, it's crazy. Not going to go that far. They've gone that far and more. They've gone that far and more. And they're not stopping. They're not shamed into stopping. They're not legally pressed by their own, uh, uh, by the the so-called justice system. Nobody's pressing them to stop the persecution. So you think they're going to stop? No, they're not going to stop. There's no way they're going to stop. They're going to keep going. This Peter Navarro is now... A a hostage, he's a political hostage to this crazy, crazy Biden administration and this movement of people that are are, and, and they're taking away from us our great American legal system that had checks and balances. When people went too far, there was a way to stop the madness. They're taking that away from us. Peter Navarro shouldn't go to jail for a day, not for a minute. And they're going to plow right ahead and do it. And we should be, we shouldn't be ashamed because we didn't do it, but we should be worried. We should be devastated. Devastated is right. We should be devastated. This is gutting our legal system. I told you uh, uh, too many times, the crown jewel of America is not jewels. It's not a crown and jewels. It's not a ring with jewels. It's not a scepter with jewels. It's not a, uh, a, uh, a cloak with jewels on it. That's London. That's England. In America, the crown jewel is our constitution and the rule of law coupled with our founding values. Now those values were Christian Judeo Christian. You can call it, but really Christian people had honor, integrity, seriousness. There was a difference between kids and adults. It was all about, it was about truth and si- it, it, it was making sure our system had a, had a, everyone had a fair chance. That was America. Our crown jewel is the constitution, the rule of law and our founding values. And these people, Joe Biden and his people are just destroying it in front of us. And most people think the only way to go forward is to do the same thing when the other side has power and go after John Brennan and Clapper and everybody for lying. Go, you know, go after uh, the people who have done the destructive things like Fannie Willis and others. I say we should have a system that stops this madness in its tracks and keeps Peter Navarro from becoming a hostage, a political hostage, and lets it be free. All right, that's all I've got. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.